Good morning and welcome. I'm Ranjan, the Ken's most caffeinated desk hand, and I'm joined today by Arundhati, who leads our fintech coverage in India, and John, our Southeast Asia editor. Thanks for joining me, guys. Hey, hey. Hey, Ranjan. Hey, John. We made it alive, guys. It always amazes me how, despite all the chaos, things eventually work out. We make it through to the end. Uh, the finish line's in sight. Uh, but before we get there, let's um, walk our listeners through the sort of year it's been. It's been a whirlwind of a year in general, of course, but particularly so in the world of fintech. In Southeast Asia, it's been raining digital banking licenses. Singapore gave out four last year, including to the C Group and a grabbed Singtel consortium. The Philippines has now handed out six licenses and Malaysia Central Bank is mulling over applications too. In other news, Amazon and Visa went to war over fees, while startups have sprouted around emerging topics like digital investing, wealth management, and beyond. In India, meanwhile, the year saw one of the most anticipated fintech IPOs, Paytm, flounder spectacularly. India's central bank, the Reserve Bank of India, also raised its profile, teasing the formation of an entity to rival NPCI, which is the body that oversees India's universal payments interface system. After drawing interest from some of the country's biggest conglomerates, however, RBI beat a retreat on this front. And while lending has become a hot new feature for every startup worth its salt, I think the biggest development in the space was the crackdown on illegal Chinese lending apps. Arundhati, as someone at the forefront of exposing these shady operators, remind us about what happened and tell us where things stand today. So Ranjan, at the start of the year, when we were still reeling from the economic impact of COVID, it created the perfect breeding ground for illegal loan apps. There were enough desperate borrowers. There was enough digital penetration for people to be comfortable taking loans online. There were enough small-time NBFCs that became a front for the loan apps. And there were enough tech shops where one could just go and buy the components they needed for putting together a loan app off the shelf. You know, so you ban one loan app, thousands sprout up in its place. And then you add harsh collection practices to all of this and you have a dirty lending bomb. So the Reserve Bank of India actually set up a committee to look into the practices of digital lending. And it found that there were over 600 illegal loan apps. And most recently in the parliament, uh, the Minister of State for Finance said that only 27 of these have been blocked by the Ministry of IT. So this issue is far from resolved. Wow, that's staggering scale. I mean, how does it get to a point where 600 of these apps proliferate before the government even notices? And at what point do you think the government actually decides to take action? Government action comes in always too late, right? Only when there is a spate of suicides, when people have lost their shirt, that's when the regulators and the government wake up. So this is, I would say this is too little and too late. And are things uh, better now or are things sort of starting back up again now that the government has sort of taken its eye off the ball once more? I think other ecosystem stakeholders, be it Google, be it payment gateways, be it banks, have kind of wisened up to the act of uh, these illegal loan apps. So there is definitely more scrutiny going into these loan apps. And, you know, when someone is trying to launch a new app, there is definitely more scrutiny there. But like I said, there is too much of a breeding ground that has already been created. So it's hard to uproot this problem altogether unless the government, say, you know, comes up with guidelines for how Google, which is the uh, Google's Play Store, which is the gatekeeper for 
any app to kind of publish itself right unless it comes comes up with strict guidelines for what these gatekeepers need to do i don't think this problem is far from gone so john has southeast asia seen similar issues with lending apps uh, maybe not in the same scale maybe not in the exact same space but but is this a trend with lending apps even in that region oh you bet it is it's been crazy and the numbers are mind boggling too um since 2018 um indonesia uh, which is obviously the largest economy in, in southeast asia and in that respect uh, the biggest market for this problem has shut down almost 5000 illegal peer to peer apps and i think the issue has been very similar to india um in in respect of a lot of the users of these apps have have ended up taking a loan with one particular app and having to pay it back by getting a loan from a second app and a third app and it's the issue has snowballed for many people you know owing money to a dozen or even 20 plus apps and what we've seen also in the mainstream press it hasn't been a quiet affair it's been very very public there's been suicides and and other kinds of horrible um scenarios coming out of this which eventually forced the government to take action but there's concern that the action that the government has taken which is to cut the rate of interest that these services can can make from a particular consumer uh is going to drive people who are really desperate for loans to uh illegal and shady apps so even when the government steps in the solution is not always going to perhaps have the impact that is targeted interesting with governments coming in and trying to control the interest rates that these apps are charging um doesn't that also strike at the core of the p2p lending model because uh the way they've been bringing in lenders or has been through these absurdly high interest rates right uh how do you see these platforms succeeding as you know these rates sort of get curbed you're right and it's very early days and in fact we we just had a story a couple of weeks ago so i think it's a bit too early to say as i mentioned the concern is that because these apps are less attractive for lenders as you say and this is uh this is p2p in in particular because the the rate that you can make from uh from lending to these apps is lower the concern is that gray market apps that operating illegally and they're obviously popping up you know on a regular basis are going to be at- attracting people who want to maximize the the uh, yield for their money and also offering you know better potential terms to users who are very desperate to get loan you know it's it's not a perfect solution here and i think we have to see how this plays out in uh, 2022 that's that's fascinating john uh moving from scams to success <laughs> in more positive news southeast asia's fintech spotlight has increasingly focused on uh the bnpl or buy now pay later space already the region has over 10 bnpl players jockeying for position with even the likes of grab and shopee joining the mix john could you explain why 2021 was bnpl's year in the sun and tell us what comes next absolutely i i i'm not sure that anyone can really say why because i think in in general there was a very a very global trend you know we saw some big companies like paypal and also square making acquisitions which i think put bnpl on the radar for everybody but certainly we've noticed a lot of companies coming through and one of the latest uh, billion dollar valued businesses advanced ai is an interesting case because this is a predominantly sort of chinese focused company the founders come from china but they're very much in southeast asia they've operated a, a number of different businesses in the region i think looking to see what might work and they kind of struck gold with the bnpl service that they've got and that's what sort of took them from being another company that's out there 
to being a, a value that's sort of $2 billion and being chased by some of the biggest investors out there. That's really the, their story and their growth is really uh, sort of in, indicative of how BNPL has taken off. We've also seen other companies coming in too. Shopee was working with one vendor first, and then they they built their own service too. And then serial entrepreneurs who have had exits have also gone into the into the space, which I think is a very good sign, you know, of interest. And even there's one company that's, that plans to go public through a SPAC, also Fin Excel. And uh, next year, so you know, you've got unicorns, you've got experienced entrepreneurs, and you've got public listings coming too. So you know, that's been an incredible year for BNPL services. Wow, that's fascinating, John. Lots of competition. Um, Arundhati, I know BNPL has been around for a bit in India. Um, where do things stand in the space at at the moment? It's like John said, global action has got Indian companies kind of jumping into the BNPL space as well. Um, And I think it's the latest product to kind of, you know, come out of the fintech hype machine in India because every company is now doubling down on uh, buy now, pay later as a feature, right? And the pandemic came along and gave it a nice little boost even, right? Because people are starved for credit. They want options to make, to buy things on short-term credit. So, So it came along at the right time. I think it found traction at the right time. And it's come as a savior, especially for flailing companies, I would say, who are, you know, uh, in search of a business model or in search of a revenue model. One example that comes to my mind is uh, Mobiquick, which is which was once uh, a large payments company in India. It wanted to IPO this year, but the IPO had to be canned for uh, numerous reasons. And it was interesting to see in their IPO prospectus that their core strategy was not payments, but buy now, pay later. And what's even more curious is they are actually doubling down on this model, which is uh, which in India has not really found ground when it comes to having a sound business model. Most companies still lose money on buy now, pay later. And the space is going to get even more competitive the next year, I feel, because uh, there, there are also these low ticket size wannabe credit card companies that are coming into the fray. And uh, there's going to be some fight between the buy now, pay later companies and the wannabe credit card companies, because both are targeting the same market. Interestingly, a report that I was reading said that buy now, pay later in five years from now will have close to 50 to 100 million users from the current 10 million users. So in five years, buy now, pay later action is expected to be like what you see in digital payments right now. Those numbers sound crazy. I mean, clearly those are the Indian numbers. John, do you see BNPL going the same direction in uh, Southeast Asia? I know traction is growing, but I've also heard that regulation is being contemplated right now. So do you see uh, buy now, pay later companies enjoying the same sort of growth like Arundhati mentioned for the companies in India? So I think it's very early days in this part of the world. And Advanced AI, which was the company that I mentioned before, that's valued at $2 billion, they have a BNPL product, which is one of the market leaders. And it's just beginning now to expand out of the core markets that it's in. And likewise, Phoenixar, which is going public via SPAC, is also uh, plotting to go regional. So I think in terms of regional growth and overall numbers, we'll have to see. But you're right, Singapore is looking into whether it needs to regulate BNPL. And I think that's a Singapore is often the most proactive government in terms of regulating new tech and new services. So I think if the government in Singapore does choose to act, then we might well see other countries in Southeast Asia taking a leaf out of their book. 
Yeah, John, and same goes for India as well. The RBI is planning corrective action when it comes to all kinds of digital lending, BNPL included. And it seems to be something that, that we can see around the world as well. Yeah, sounds like 2022 may be a slightly more complicated time for uh, BNPL players uh, and lenders in general, I guess. True, true. Speaking of 2022, though, I'm curious to know what the two of you think will be the most hot button topics in the year ahead. Um, Arundhati? Ranjan, one thing I'm really excited about is the account aggregator framework, which went live this year. What the framework aims to do is to make financial data much more accessible across different entities by creating more data intermediaries or data brokers, so to say. This particular framework has been a long time coming now, and it's finally here. So I'm eager to see how it will be adopted and what kind of applications it will manifest itself in. You know, so far we've been talking about data being the new oil, but with account aggregators, data will not be a moat or a differentiator anymore. So it'll be really interesting to see who will emerge as leaders. In Southeast Asia, I'm very curious to see what happens with the next phase of digital payments across the region. Most of the countries in this part of the world have adopted their own digital wallets or private companies have come through too. And now we've seen a dozen or so deals connecting those digital wallets. For example, I'm in Thailand and I can go to Singapore and pay for goods using my Thai digital banking app, which is an incredible thing, really. So that, that's broadened beyond Southeast Asia with India's UPI and Singapore's PayNow systems connecting. That will eventually lead to payments being able to go through on either network in India or in Singapore. And it opens the bridge for potentially other services too. You can imagine payroll or other services that run across the financial systems going through this connection. And the advantage is obviously about not just convenient, but it's also low cost and also fast. So John, does this mean you can now fund all the treats that you owe us? If only I was in Singapore. Unfortunately, <laughs> I can't. Oh, that, well, there you go, weaseling out again. That's extremely convenient, John. <laughs> Isn't it just? Unfortunately, that's all the time we have uh, I'd like to thank Arundhati and John, my fellow podcasters. Thank you guys so much for the wonderful insights and the recap of this crazy year. Thank you, Ranjan. It was great being here. Thanks, Ranjan. Absolute pleasure. <laughs> and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. It's the holidays. I'm sure being Ken listeners, you're all really cool and you have a lot of parties to go to. So I hope you have a happy holidays and a great year ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you.